You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Ooh, that was was close. We almost didn't record today, Bracken. Thank God. There's nothing we love more than pushing the red button, and you were almost unable to push it. I tried twice. Third time was a charm. Um, Bracken, I want to ask you a question. I think the answer is going to be no. Okay. But have you ever been stung by a bee and bitten by a tick in the same moment? In time. No. Well, I have. But I was once stung under each armpit simultaneously. Were you running with your hands in the air like a flailing tube man? I was jumping onto a monkey bar when I was probably eight or ten. Come on now. And my cousin and I, true story, both got stung under both armpits at the same time. We must have stepped on a ground hive or something. They swarmed up and it was just this ripe open landing patch for them and they got us. So four bee stings simultaneously in four armpits. Yes. I'm not buying it. Sounds like a fake story, but it's real. I'll never forget it. We had mud that our parents slathered mud in our armpits and we walked around with dry caked mud in our pits for the next hour. Do you know how there's always a guy in like a friend circle who's a one upper? Ah, I don't <laughs> want to be that person. <laughs> Did you just do that to me? Tell me about the time you got stung by a wasp and bit by a tick. My time was yesterday, Bracken, Sunday. We're recording wow. on a Monday and I was out. Uh, I'm a deer hunter. I think people know that. And this time of year is very exciting for me. So Sunday is my rest day from workouts. So uh, that also means that's my active recovery day, which also means I go in the woods and I tromp around and I set up deer cameras and I go scouting for the season in the fall coming up. So that's like my favorite thing to do on Sunday. It's my active recovery. We were tromping through the, uh, the swamp And suddenly I have this like searing pain in my right shoulder. And I was like, what on earth? And I look and there is this wasp stuck through my shirt into my shoulder trying to fly away. But his own dumb stinger is in me. So I was like, Jesus. So I flicked this thing off. My friend TJ, who we had on the podcast not too long ago, is with me walking behind me. And I was like, Jesus, that hurt. What the heck was that? And then he's like, man, uh, you got a tick on your neck, dude. And I was like, what do you mean I got a tick on my neck? I was like, I was worried about my bee sting. And he plucked out this big, fat tick buried already in my skin, in my neck. It happened five seconds apart. It was a bad bug day for me yesterday, Bracken. That was a bad bug day. Not good, man. Now, I want to commiserate with you, but I don't want to be seen as one-upping. But you're about to, aren't you? No, I'm not one-upping. I'm just sharing my commiseration experiences. I got stung on the hand last week, right minutes before my time trial. Okay. That was the one where I stopped to pee and I got stung on the hand, which is only uh, just a small piece of, of skin away from a terrible disaster. Mm-hmm. That could have been so bad. But that, I think it got stuck in my, I think the stinger was either in the tip of it, kept getting rubbed by my bracelet that I was wearing. Okay. And and by the end of the workout, I had like a, a, a it looked like a, like a rash but a on fire rash on my hand and it stayed for a week. 
I don't know if it was a combination of of working really hard right after that, plus that just kept rubbing that area with that bracelet. Halfway through, I took the bracelet off, but the next day it got bright red, and eventually I got like a little scab area in there. I, I really reacted to it, and I don't really react to stings. Well, mine still itches and it hurts a lot, Bracken. No, I'm not one up, you know, just commiserating. I got stung recently too, and it affected my life. And then today, Kirk, we have a slow leak in my back left tire of the van. Okay. And so I fill the tire up every two days. I just top it off. And this morning I didn't do it prior to getting to the hill. I did some some aerobic hill reps, an hour of aerobic hill reps on our ski hill. And I got back and I my plan was to fill up the tire because Lisa was going to take the van next and go do her run. And I took my shirt off because I was soaked through, opened the trunk, pull out our portable tire inflator, and look down and I look like I had freckles all over my body. I was just swarmed by mosquitoes. What time of day was this? I was probably 8 a.m. by this point. Okay. Just I just jogged back through the grass, took my shirt off and stopped. And whatever was following me through the grass and I was like, you know, steaming in the morning, they were just swarmed to me. And so I had to run back and forth in front of the van until it was done and just beating these things away but i'm i'm covered right now i'm so itchy dude bugs in like northern united states of america midsummer are the worst yeah and we didn't talk about this when we were on with chris brown i was a i was slathering myself with sunscreen during the episode you guys got oh you, you got, got a flat didn't you <laughs> yeah because i was gonna ride 60 what five miles out to the campground mm-hmm. i flatted 42 miles in and I'm on a crushed gravel slash dirt grass tree shrouded bike trail. And I had to wait for 50 minutes for a ride to show up. And I had to run my flatted bike back to the trailhead. And I was just dive bombed by deer flies and mosquitoes. And so I all I, I brought a pair of flip flops, flip flops along just in case I flatted because I didn't. All I had were my, my clip in bike shoes. And so I put those on and I just ran up and down the road for 55 minutes because if I stopped moving, the insects got me. You ran up and down the road in your flip-flops? In my flip-flops for 55 minutes. And your flippies? Yep. No overuse injuries from the uh, effort? Oh, no. The, these are those tactical flip-flops I have, those Under Armour fat tire flip-flops. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are nice. I could, I could run a marathon in those if I had to. Yeah, you could duct tape those to your feet and be good. We don't talk about that. The, uh, the bug situation. Summer bugs, terrible. My favorite running place close by, Elm Creek Park, uh, the horse trails, don't bother. For like two months out of the year, I don't even – I don't bother. I there, there were trails where, yeah, I could basically only do tempos there because you have to be running sub six to stay ahead of some of those flies. Yeah, you do. And I can't do easy runs on some of my favorite trails. It's nonsense. Nonsense. Um, bugs. All right. Well, I'm sure other people are dealing with them too. I'm sure our problems aren't that big, I guess. Where could it be worse? Canada? Rainforest? Both. That's it? Both. The bugs in summer in the Midwest, I will put up against anything south of us and anything non-tropical. So Canada... I think they can probably match or exceed us. But if it's not Canada and it's not tropical, I think the Midwestern flies and mosquitoes are as bad as anything during the summer months. 
I can actually vouch to Canada, by the way. Uh, went to Canada every summer with my dad, took the camper, went on a fishing trip. And one summer, we had a hole the size of a quarter in the soft material. Oh, yeah, in the canvas. In the canvas. And it was the it was the worst night of my life until we figured out where they were coming in. Uh, they almost carried me away. So I would say Canada takes the, takes the cake. But northern U.S., close second. Oof. Do you see yeah, this? Do you see this? Can you see you can you see this big bee bite or sting on my shoulder? Can you see yeah. it? I can't. I'm actually it's uh, Oh, yeah, that's it's, just your deltoid. Never mind. Yeah, it's super jacked. Well played, sir. Thank you. I'm still itching. I got I found another one between my toes. Somehow bit me through my shoe, Kirk. That or it was in the car and after I took my shoes off, it bit my feet while I was driving. All right, we're going to go one more thing with the bugs, and then we'll move on, okay? I, uh, I've i renovated my entire lake house, right? Everything. Yeah. But part of the renovation is you tear the walls open, and the floors got ripped up, and everything got ripped up. Well, this house is like a 1948 build or something. It's It's been here mm-hmm. a while. Uh, well, when you make a log cabin house, which is what I've done, you have these cracks along the floor that you don't uh, shoe, as they call it. You don't put a shoe there because it looks better. Anyways. Apparently, it's like spider gateway, highway to hell. And so Mm. we have more spiders. We've averaged now the last week. And uh, on average, we kill six to nine spiders per day that are creeping across the floor. And last night, I woke up to go pee. And I look next to me in my bed. And there's a giant spider right on my bed frame, like by the the headboard. About, I don't know, six inches from my face. So... The bugs and I move. along, dude. It's terrible. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle it. What do you do? I'd move. It's a beautiful house, full of spiders. I would move, or I would bug bomb it. I can't. I I'm not a spider man. <laughs> it's not what I like in my life. Some people you know, are like, oh, look at that cute spider. Not me. I don't want a cute spider near me. I just, I'm not afraid of bugs. I just have no use for them on me. I don't think spiders were created by God. I'll just say that. Oh, no, they're from below. Yeah, I think spiders came from the other side of the ground, Bracken. I still have not heard a good explanation for why uh, mosquitoes exist. Um, to keep the to keep us in check, obviously. You think that's, that, that's probably the best? Because <laughs> any other bug could have been created to feed other insects, spiders, whatever, bats, that didn't bite us. Yeah, I don't get it. Or didn't just leave itchy welts behind. I just, I don't think there's any use for them. All right. One thing leads to another here. Now I'm going to just drop some knowledge on the people that they don't need to know, but you should know. So um, I, I'm an outdoorsman, so I know all these stupid facts. So do you know in the Northeast of the U.S., like Maine, that area, there's a large moose population. Moose mm-hmm. live up there. It's our most dense moose population in the United States. Anyways. We are currently losing 90% of our moose calf population, the newborns, every single year due to ticks. They're getting so infested on these baby newborns, they're picking like 10 to 100,000 ticks off of these found dead baby newborns, sucking the life out of them. Tick problem in the Northeast is real. Can you imagine that, Job? No, but it's kind of terrible because the moose population is starting to just plummet. And it's due to like tiny little freaking annoying organisms. It's awful. No, no, I did not know that. But I do know that as a outdoorsy person who enjoys trails and woods and 
Meadows, ticks mm-hmm. are the bane of our existence. Yeah, well, I ripped one off of me, and that thing got squashed between my fingernails. There you go. Yeah. All right. Should we uh, should we talk about what we're going to talk about today? Enough uh, bug talk. Let's talk about what we're going to talk about. From time to time, we have a guest interview that sparks questions and interest amongst ourselves and the listeners, and this is one of them. We had we had Kevin Donahue on, and he talked about how he it, it almost was reminiscent of Lisa's interview, where he said, "Yeah, I know it would probably be better to do a different style of training and race left race less, but it fuels my life. It excites me." Kind of like Lisa saying, "I know it'd be better not to go out and run." between aerobic threshold and lactate threshold every single day, but that's what I love to do. So I'm going to do it. Yep. And, and both of them speak to a certain populace that we deal with, which are the, the pleasure seekers in running and training that their pleasure. I, I mean, I guess that's most of us, but their pleasure comes from a different place other than just high end performance. And his is racing often and he loves it and he's not going to change. And we have listeners who want to know, what what do you do differently if you race a lot versus if you don't race a lot? Yeah, I got, uh, I guess we released that episode on Friday afternoon. I had two athletes reach out to me right away saying, okay, I got to rethink what's going on here. Even though I'm coaching them and guiding them through things, um, they are perplexed on how to approach. They're the frequent racers. They're racing. I mean, I got, I'm going to say, Bracken, I don't know about you, but like it's the time of year. I think I had... I made a round of plans this last week and I make four week plans at a time. And I would say like six to eight of my athletes were racing three out of the four weekends in this next block. Mm. It's yep. just the time, right? You have Monterey, you have West Virginia, you have trail races, you have savages and tough mutters and OCR anyway, world. OCR world. So all of a sudden we're looking at these blocks and it's just race, 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 race. And then the question is, what the heck do I do? in order to get the most out of these races and, and train in between. So it just seems so pertinent right now that we got to address it. And I do think like, as you said, we should talk about the other side of the coin, which would be then like, if you don't race often, kind of like my plan, how they're, they're so varied in their approaches. Um, we got to dive into that bracket. We do. We've talked a lot about really how to approach if you don't race a lot, where you have multiple options, but the classic option is a periodized build. The other option is to try to do more of a a linear build, even though we know that's not possible, but just to try to keep improving your fitness throughout the year. Or you can do different blocks of training. You can do a base building block. You can do a threshold block. You can do a skill-based block. But blocks of training don't exist when there's a lot of races. And that's that's the most difficult part is that races are the reason we train. But races are the single biggest, easiest way to throw out your training off. And sometimes we, I don't even know if it's a chicken egg or a cart before the horse or a wolf in sheep's clothing or any number of tricky farm animal metaphors, but it's the races are what we train for, yet we get so frustrated when we can't train the way we want to train because we have races. It's a conundrum. And I think sometimes we get stressed over it rather than just embracing it and saying, this is what we love to do. Let's, let's go do it and then salvage it the best we can. It's kind of like a forest for the trees situation, Bracken. You know what? I'm not totally sure what it means, but I like it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's so easy to. I think the 
the thing that we get caught up in the frequent racers and I've had short bouts in my career. And I know you did early in your career, if I'm not mistaken, where you would go weekend mm-hmm. to weekend and it gets cloudy, right? Because we train to race, but what we lose sight of when we race often is that racing becomes our training. And we like to like compartmentalize or separate the two. I'm, am I training or am I racing? But what we forget, you all remember that guy in college or two who slacked in the off season or in high school And then they showed up and they raced themselves into shape. What does that tell us? That tells us that like races are big stimulus that also move the fitness needle. And the problem is if you care about your races, then training through in a sense in quotes, isn't really the best option. So now it's basically like getting yourself to homeostasis and ready for your next in quotes workout, which is really a race because those are what are going to sustain or move the fitness needle Um, it's almost replacing your training stimulus. And so like that whole, like that little complex is really tough for people to grasp. It really is. And we've, again, you said it, but we've all been there where we have a couple of races in a row and we get done with the first and we want to panic and get back to our next quality workout because we know by the third weekend, we have a workout that we have in our pocket that'll help us for that third weekend, but we're not totally recovered to hit it. But if we wait any longer, we can't get it in before the next race. And that's, that's that conundrum right there. That's that that trap that we fall into. So how do we avoid that? I have two ways I avoid it, but do you want to start? Yeah, I do want to start. And I want to, I want to right. start this with, I've gone uh, two stints in my racing career where I raced four weekends in a row, just twice after college. College is a different situation. You're bred to be cyborgs and it's like everything's out the window as far as quality work and, and racing. Um but the first was actually, I had raced the Monterey Super my first year pursuing the U.S. National Series in Spartan Race in 2019. Then the next weekend, I went to Chicago and raced back-to-back days, Saturday, Sunday, where I got my first wins. The following weekend, I jumped into a 5K locally down the road at Tater Days with a Z. It was legit. And then I went to the Lambeau Field Stadium race, so four weeks in a row. Mm. Um. In between there, uh, we had actually chatted. I don't know if you remember this, but I was still coaching under you. I believe it was about the time we parted ways at the end of that season, I think, because um, we more became just kind of like buddies. But, um, and I don't know if you remember these conversations, but we had one uh, over the phone, I think, because Lambeau Field was coming up and all of this. And I was on leaderboard, which is, you know, rest in peace leaderboard. And you told me not to follow the prescribed um, workouts. You had told me that, hey, maybe we just cut this in half or here's an alternative to the plan because you have a big string of things coming up. I'm sure you don't remember this conversation. Anyways, uh, I didn't do one quality workout in a month that accumulated more than 10 minutes of work. And two of those weeks, I did none because I was so beat up after back-to-back race weekends in Chicago And it was just like, it didn't make sense. I did recovery work, strength work, got myself back to homeostasis. And this long story, the point I'm making is I raced well four weeks in a row, showed up, performed, felt like I got better and better, yet I didn't do a workout that moved my needle at all. It was the racing that did that for me. And after I experienced that, it was, I'd always tried to jam everything in because you have the college mentality we had, which was like, two quality workouts a week plus a race on Saturday. And I had done that before. And then I would show up flat on race day. And I realized that we got to just ditch that mindset. And so that was the first time when I realized, you know, it gets a little bit laughed at, like race yourself into shape. I was already in shape, but once you're there, 
it's a, it's a, you can only do too much. You can't do too little. That's like my philosophy. So anyways, I learned that in that time frame, and it was part of our conversation and then I experienced it myself. Um, so I just wanted to outline that. I, I don't know if you've had times where you've experienced that yourself, but. A hundred percent. And it's a great reminder that we do workouts so that we can race. Correct. The workouts are to simulate the demands and to work on the systems needed to be able to race well. And when you're racing, you are using those systems and you're actually completing. You're, you're, it, there's nothing more race pace than racing. And so work a race is just one giant workout that is is, I don't know, weightier than a normal workout. You talk about it a lot. If you race back-to-back weekends or back-to-back days, your fitness pops. You jump forward in your fitness because it's the best workout you could possibly do as a race at times. Yep. Well, I'm smoked for about a week and then suddenly I'm like, whoa, where'd that come from? Yeah. And, and we forget that sometimes workouts are super effective for races, but races are super effective workouts. This that second half that races are just fantastic workouts. You got a lot of specificity done on race day because it was all specific to your race needs because you were actually doing them all. And so after a really big workout, any coach will program you extra recovery in order to absorb it. It's the same thing happening. It's not like your fitness goes on pause for that four weeks of racing. It's no, your fitness can actually improve each week if you're recovering from it. And that's, that's the, that's a good overarching theme to go into this with is that races improve your fitness once they're done breaking your body down. They break you down, then you recover, and then your fitness is higher as long as you've recovered. Well, I think the stigma is, if you remember this again, I know we refer to college a lot, but you'd have the guys that would race themselves into shape, but then they would fizzle at the end of the season. They would peak really hot, and then suddenly they would fizzle out and not perform their best at the end, but they'd have a great run in the middle of the season. Now, we're not confusing that with like, okay, start from ground zero and race yourself into shape. It got a bad rap because people would do that and just use races as their training um, without any sort of, let's call it base work or build up or bank deposits by running day to day. I more want to outline like, yes, we have that type or just a race mm-hmm. and they race and they race. We're also talking about the type who like, Hey, they did run for three to five months over the winter and pandemic. And now they went into season with a base in the quotes. So, um, you kind of have two ends of the spectrum, the ones who actually like start their fitness foundation from races and the ones who have a foundation, but are just racing frequently. It's almost like you almost need to separate them into two categories. Kind of, you get what I'm getting at there. I do. And I think it's important to separate. I want to even go back and back to college a little bit because track is often used and we'll even use it ourselves as the example as of you can race multiple times a day. You can race multiple times in a week and you'll be fine as long as that's not always what's happening. But the important piece to remember is that duration is king here. In college, you and I both ran the 1500 meter or the the metric, um, the, the imperial version of that being the mile. And then I also ran 800s. That was about all we ran. I'd run some four by fours and that's about it. We could race every single week because we were never on the track for much longer than four minutes. It's true. Somewhere between 50 seconds and four and a quarter minutes was the duration that we spent on the track at a time. It's a little different when you move up. The 5K guys didn't necessarily run 5K every week. And the 10K guys really only ran, what, 
two hard 10Ks a year. Yeah, filled it with 5Ks and 15s in between. Yeah. Yep. You'd have your conference and your national 10K. Maybe one more. You might have a qualifier in there. Yep. And that's it. So you maybe hit three hard 10Ks in a year. But that conference 10K is really a, a tactical race most of the time anyway. So two to three hard 10K. And so let's look at time. In college, you're plus or minus a minute or two from 30 minutes. So once you got to the 30-minute race, really anything 20 minutes or longer, we'll call it, just to really put a clear divide between 5K down and 10K up. 20 minutes or longer was respected to the point that you only ran it two to three times over a three-month period. Mm -hmm. That's it. Everything we do post-collegiately is pretty much 20 minutes or longer unless it's a road 5K. That's really the only exception. Yeah, do I run one road mile each year? Yeah. But the vast majority of people are running 20 minutes or longer every single race. And now that's shown by looking at college that that's not something you can go to the well at. And by that, I mean run your absolute hardest week in and week out. Not possible. Yeah. Yeah. And what we also don't really think about is, you know, whether you're a, a road racer, trail racer, you do OCR, you know, we have this sort of theory in a sense, like if you're OCR racing or trail racing to an extent, depending on how much vert is in that trail race, you're kind of doubling your race distance in effort. A beast obstacle course race is roughly a marathon effort by the time it's all said and done as far as time on feet. And so you go travel and you say, oh, I'm just going to run a 10K trail race or a Spartan Super or whatever it is. But you're out there for an hour and a half, which is the equivalent of a half marathon effort for most of you, which mm -hmm. means like you you think like some people train for six months and don't race at all and then go race a half marathon as a culmination to a big build. And here we are racing that or more every single weekend. And we lose sight of that. Like the super was only a 10K. That's not a big deal. We have no, and we lose sight of the systemic demand of what that actually causes. And so like it changes the whole dynamic. You're right. In college, we race for four minutes. That's nothing. Of course, we could get two quality workouts and a race in because the amount of, if you go back to the 80, 20 principle, you really think yeah. about it. My goodness, like we weren't spending that much time in those hard zones, but when we went, we went and now the it's flipped. So yeah. I think some people just have a misconception. You watch the pros race. Like even if you follow like national level track or you follow even national level anything and you get, a, and you see what, oh, what do the Ingebrigtsens do? They run tempo work every other day. Oh my goodness. That's crazy. I got to work hard in between my races. But what you're forgetting about is Ingebrigtsen races for three minutes and 29 seconds on the weekend. And you race for three hours and 29 minutes. Not the same. Exactly. I love that. That's perfect. And the quality work itself. What is a big mile workout, Kirk? What's your big mile workout you you love? Three by four by 400? No, three by three by 400 was what we did, which is only two and a quarter miles of quality work. So if you're running 60, 70 mile, 80 mile weeks in college and your hardest workout of the week is what? Two and a quarter miles? Yep. That's a small percentage. Now you go to the well in a 1500 on Saturday, you still only done three and a quarter miles of quality for the week. Right. Which means you still have time for that other quality workout that week on like a Thursday. And that's how people get away with it. But we can't abide by that framework. We have to abide by the rules, which are we are all 10K runners or longer post-collegiately for the most part. 
and 10k runners do not go crazy in terms of cramming races together. So that's, that's our general philosophy on how we approach it. But then there are the people who are like, I want to go and run a 10k two out of every three weeks. All right, cool. First thing you have to decide, are you completing it or are you competing? If you're just completing, that's a workout. If you're competing, it's a race. And if you're competing at the point where you are miserable for hours afterwards, then that's a big race. How do you know which one you are? Some people, I think, tell the start line and don't know what they're going to do that day. I think you know afterwards. But we had, I mean, I referenced her last time, but Jess McConnell runs a 5K and can't bring herself to do anything quality for two weeks afterwards because she trashes herself that bad. Systemically, she's fried. If you finish a, a 10K and you the next day you're like, I could go do a workout, then yeah, you didn't bury the needle the day before the conundrum there or the catch 22 is knowing that in foresight saying do i do a big workout on tuesday or wednesday even though i race saturday before and i'm racing saturday again because i don't know if i'm going to go to the well in my race or not is a tough thing to know it's almost like a you got to decide ahead of time with how you pick your that's that's true. And my my take on that is that if you're not sure which one you're going to do, you have the opportunity to be the second choice. Like if you're not sure if I'm going to trash myself or not, you've already partially opened the door of potentially trashing yourself. So you treat it as if you're going to be trashed. Yeah. And and our bodies, we've re- referenced this and I don't know how Fred Clary comes up so damn much. It's, it's ridiculous. But our body responds to big stimulus, right? It, it responds to big efforts, which means like it doesn't take a lot in between to get you to the next big effort and to be able to perform. So erring on the side of caution when you're racing multiple weeks in a row is kind of like the safe bet. Yeah. So once you've decided, am I competing or am I completing? If you're competing, now you have to decide how do I move forward? If I'm just completing, I'm balancing the equation. That's the way I think about it. I like to have threshold work. I like to have faster than race pace work. And I like to have long work. What is my race? What boxes does it check? Whatever's missing from the equation, that's what I'm doing on my in-between workout. So let's say that it would be what we would, let's say a trail half marathon. For me, that's going to be a long run and that's going to be threshold work. So all I'm missing from my get better equation is faster than race pace work. So that's what I'm plugging in somewhere in the middle of the week. You know, if you're looking at your season as a whole saying, I do want to progress, I'm racing a lot, but I would like to get better as I do this. It's probably the best approach to it. If you have a flat race over the weekend, you have a 5K or you have anything, what do you do? Well, I probably should find some hills in the middle of the week to balance this out. So your short quality work ends up being inclined treadmill work or hill repeats. And then you get that stimulus in, you balance that out with a nice VO2 max or threshold effort on a flat terrain over the weekend. And then what do you do after that? Well, let's say the next race does involve vert. Well, you kind of set yourself up by that workout you did a week prior, the week leading in, then you do your flat workout and you kind of, you kind of alternate that way. But I agree with you kind of doing the opposite of the race demand that's coming up makes a lot of sense for longevity purposes. Anyways, what's your rule of thumb bracket? The week after a race, what what is your next quality workout the week after a race? What's your rule? Do you, do you know this? 
you're you're tricking me. I no, feel I'm, like I'm... no. <laughs> Come on, now. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's your rule. Your your rule is the week after a race is to do the exact opposite of whatever that was in training. You had a big mountain oh, race. What do you do? Yeah, yeah. You might hit. You have a big mountain race, and you might go hit four hundred meter repeats, which you haven't done in months on a flat track, just because it's the opposite stimulus. And yep. so that's like I think that's the first deciding factor. Like, what is my race not giving me that I need to round up my fitness and use that as your filler workout? You knew the answer. Did you get nervous there, Brack? And were you sweating a little bit? I thought you were talking recovery. I was thinking you're not allowed to do anything until you felt good for two straight days type of rule. Oh, well, that is something you've said. But You were talking how taper in, taper out. If you're doing short speed work beforehand and taper in, then on the way out, you taper out and do some short speed work to, to prime yourself back up. I, I like doing that out of big, long efforts. Yes. But so, yeah, so we there's the concept of you complete the equation. You balance the equation. What am I missing? An example of this would be um, that trail half marathon. So now you're going to do something shorter and faster. Maybe you're going to do 400 meter intervals at 5K pace the week after on maybe a Wednesday. You're recovered enough. But the piece here that 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 is important to remember is you don't have to do a workout as if it's in a vacuum. You have to look at what's on either side. So let's say I would normally do 20 by 400 at 5K with short 30 to 45 second rest in between. Well, I could probably do 10 or 12 on a Wednesday because I'm still fatigued a little bit from the half marathon on the weekend. And I still want to be ready for the next race. So I get the skill factor down. I'm turning my legs over. I am touching the system, but your system doesn't get worked by one rep. Your system gets worked by a range of reps and the benefits start probably somewhere around rep six to eight and they finish whenever you finish. But the farther you go into that workout, the more you're accumulating debt that has to be paid off and you're already paying off your previous race and you don't want to bring a lot of debt to your next race. So accumulate some benefit early on rep six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and maybe just call the workout right there. You've got your skill work down. You've worked on efficiency. You've touched the system but you're not accruing big debt for your next race. That's the important part is you have to balance the equation, but you also have to look at it as skill work more than grinded out misery work. Yeah. And there's metabolic and hormonal benefit from getting like a little bit anaerobic mm-hmm. that can actually, which sounds, this is going to sound interesting, which can sound damaging, but it actually can help you recover, which seems like almost like an oxymoron in the training and racing world. But like, Heavier, hard stimulus and short bouts can actually speed up sort of nervous system uh, adaptation and recovery as well. So like, I find myself better off with some short, hard bouts in between races than if I had really not done a ton. It doesn't need to be a lot, like you said, but something. And I think the hard question to answer with that, and I'm hoping you can, is like, how do you know how hard to go between back-to-back-to-back race weekends? If you know you're capable of running your 400s in 80 seconds, do you go run them in 80 seconds, just do less? Or do you go run them in 85 and do a few more? What is your philosophy there? Well, that's a good question. And this is where I think having someone to look over your training is super helpful. Yeah, I agree. Now, we obviously are coaches, so that's where we lean. But this can be a training partner. This can be a spouse, a partner. It can just be a friend who knows running. And going in, having the conversation, how many times have you called me or I called you and be like, hey, so I'm planning on one or two workouts today. 
they both accomplish the same thing. Which one makes more sense? And then we say, which one in our non-current fatigued feeling state as the outsider makes more sense? Mm-hmm. Also, the non-race pressing on my conscious type of decision makes more sense. We can make that decision a lot more clearly than the person who's already laced up and ready to start the workout. Yeah. We like to have that conversation, don't we? We do. The either or conversation. In general, I would say both. If you are getting towards a race, I'm okay running by effort and limiting reps. I don't force a pace in between workouts and I don't force a number of reps. I have a hard limit on both and I allow myself to run by feel if need be that day, but I can only shorten the workout. I cannot extend. So if I had 5k reps and let's say I was going to run 75 or 80 seconds per 400, I might go out that day and run 5k effort for eight to 10 reps. Mm -hmm. Because what is knowing that time going to do for me? At best, it's going to fire me up and maybe cause me to make a mistake. But at worst, it's going to it's going to wreck my my confidence moving into the next race if I'm not hitting what I want to hit and it's feeling harder than what I want. So if I go out and say this is 5K effort and you get done and you feel pretty pretty fast running 400s at 5K and you just roll into the next race, that workout can't change your fitness for the race. That workout is for weeks down the road, but it gives you confidence moving in. Something I always do is I do, uh, I typically do time-based intervals the week of a race because mm. I know if I'm running like four or 800 meter repeats, I'm going to have a time in my head and I'm going to end up overdoing it. I don't know if you play that game with yourself or not, but um, I want to throw a couple of questions at you. I want to rapid fire okay. a couple, and then I want to outline what a week day-to-day should look like between like, let's say a Saturday race and a Saturday race. Let's talk about what makes the most sense for that athlete. Um, but I want to rapid fire just a couple at you. Okay. Before you do, I have one more thing I want to say. Sure. And that is race day itself gets overlooked sometimes for balancing the equation. If it's a 5K or under, like I ran that one mile road race the other weekend, or if I'm running a 5K, that is not the same systemic demand and fatigue and volume of doing a half marathon on the trails. There is a lot of prime real estate to be had after your race is done. Some of my best seasons have come from when I jumped into more local road races and 5Ks and trail races and tacked on a hill workout or a carry workout afterwards. Get done with my mile, get home, and then get on the treadmill and do 40 to 60 minutes of incline work at just high-end aerobic. But there is some prime real estate there that goes to waste if you just kick up the rest of the day. Just kick the feet up and lay back. Now, again, it comes back to, am I competing or completing? If you're completing, have yourself a day. But if you're competing and your goal is to compete better, there you get that golden hour afterwards where you're already really depleted. Whatever work you're going to do is really going to hit your system in a depleted state, which is where a lot of magic happens in terms of moving forward. But you also can balance out your volume equation. So you see a lot of guys go for extended cool downs after races of a uh, of only a 5k on the trail because they still got to get 12 for the day. Right. And I think a lot of the, the every man, every woman forgets that you can do more work on race day. You can go home and lift. You can do that kind of work. You just have to even be aware that that's a possibility. And yeah, most people don't even think about that or they're just, you know, budgeting the time that day and that's yep. the race is going to be it. But yeah, it's, it's very powerful to do that. I do the extended cool down anything short for sure, 30 to 60 minutes afterwards, and you can really move the fitness needle that way. I want to pose a question. All right, 
So let's say you are an OCR racer. Okay. And you got one OCR on Saturday and you have the next OCR race on Saturday. Do you believe that any sort of OCR specific work should be done between those two races, be it carries, compromised running, overhead, get up on the bar, then run work? Or do you believe that that should be left for the race? The quality, I only do the other modality. So I do not do compromised work the week in between two OCR races unless it is skill work. At an easy effort. Yeah, at an easy effort or a small little addition if there's something I need to do. And the example I would give for that is, let's say, the only time I could think of skill work that I would need from one race to another is if I were going from a different type of race to another, like a a Spartan Super to a stadium. And I might want to get some high heart rate box jumps, hand release push-ups, maybe plank walk, things that are going to require some technique and some, some... I don't know, some, some pathways in your body to hit them correctly in the race. When you come in fatigued and you haven't done them in a while, you just lose some time. So maybe something like that midweek as like a finisher to a lifting workout. Otherwise, yeah, if I need carry work or grip work, it's done aerobically. Okay. And I run under the philosophy race week jamming between two, the race stimulus from the week before is going to carry you to the next. So I don't think the compromise, maybe like a casual strength session in the gym where you're doing a little grip work, you're doing a little of the skill work you're talking, but but I don't think you should be jamming compromised run workouts in between or OCR specific workouts in between. Well, and realistically, can you get better in two or three days? No. From one workout? Not no. really. Can you improve skill in two or three days? Sure. Yeah. So if you just need a better heavy carry technique, or a rig technique, or you need to work on your spear throw, you can improve that in 10 minutes. But you can't improve compromised running in two or three days. All you can do is add fatigue. So there's no there's no point of even addressing it right then. The only time would be if these are preseason races or early season and you're prepping for something later. But I don't think that's the case we're talking about. No, that's not what we're talking about. And yeah, that then you'd be like, that'd be like if you're like training training through training through yeah and we're not doing that in this scenario and that we're kind of championship season as as you would say now what if you are um let's say the a lot of athletes are doing it all right now they got a 5k on their schedule they got a they got an uh, ocr race they have a trail half marathon i'd say most of us actually are kind of like that these days hopping into stuff Mm -hmm. um how do you how do you navigate that in between things do you have any specific like ways you would look at that or break that down? Knowing you have multiple races coming up of different varieties, you're like, well, I have an OCR race in two weeks, but I don't have it this weekend. This weekend is a local trail race. Should I be throwing in compromise work or should I like, how do you, how do you navigate those waters? What would you say there? Well, that's tricky because I think two weeks out is prime territory for improving. Correct. So I would be wanting to hit another compromised workout prior to that race. And so I would probably do some skill work that week. But I, for example, I did, when I ran my first trail 50K, I did a one mile road race 10 days out and I did OCR 400s four days out. And then I ran my trail 50K. And felt good if I'm not mistaken. Felt great. I, I like doing just two rounds of OCR 400s prior to a long race because they sting so much, but they're done. 
and they're not systemically demanding if you only do two rounds and take a little longer rest, which is how I do that before a race, that it just feels a little more pleasant to go out and not be full body fatigued when you're running. And in the at the end of an ultra, everything is so tired that knowing, well, it's not as bad as when I did burpees and lunges into 5k pace that there's there's something mentally about that so i like two weeks out doing something but this is where for the competitive athlete i would throw on an ocr finisher in the afternoon after the trail race that would be if you were a dedicated athlete and you really just wanted the most out of yourself that's what i would do you're telling me somebody goes out race for an hour and a half and then somehow is like going to throw in like burpee 400s at the end of that race, like after in their cool down, or what would you suggest? Well, if we're talking an hour and a half, that's probably a bit much to ask for. So yeah, that Tuesday, I probably would have done some OCR 400s or some skill work right there. If we're okay. talking a five or 10K trail race, then in the evening, I might do a terrible two mile or a, or a, a short round of Bigfoot or something. See, I just had the foresight to know what's coming up and then give yourself some of that stimulus. And And I do think like, you know, there's something to that, this whole like compromised running the week of a non-compromised running race. It's almost like perspective, like sure the 50K you did was hard, but it didn't, the intensity never reached what those OCR 400s did to you the Tuesday before. So perspectively, you go out there, start running and it feels like butter, right? And so there's some sort of yeah. perspective there too. And I even thought about it during the race. I was aware of the, the perspective difference while I was doing it. Hmm. And, and one of the big pieces is that generally standalone running events do not destroy your arms and OCR work or compromise running work can. Yeah. And so OCR 400 with my arms dangling and making sure I'm really working my arms makes me when I'm 20 miles in 22, 24 miles into a 50 K and starting to get to that point, it reminds you that your arms aren't dangling noodles. As your legs start to decay, you can go to your arms a little bit more. And and you actually have a pathway there that you can use rather than a standard run training. There's not much more you can drive from your arms because you always just do the same thing with your arms. And I think that's a, that's a hitting component to compromise running that people don't generally think about is how much you can drive from your arms when you're fatigued. Yeah, yeah. That's very true. I've been told a number of times late in races that I look like I'm running with my arms, which doesn't make a lot of sense, but you can rely on that, especially if you're good with the compromised work. Suddenly those babies are still firing and that can carry your lower body through keeping good upper body mechanics going. Um, next question I want to pop at you. You're racing back-to-back -back weekends, back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back weekends, whatever it is. When do you place your quality effort in the week what makes the most sense and by quality we're talking like a abbreviated version of a full quality workout i think we yeah. kind of established that like when do you think that makes the most sense i have a floating window tuesday to thursday okay and it, i can't do it earlier than tuesday because even if i feel okay i'm probably not recovered and I can't do it later than Thursday because then there's then I'm only 48 hours out from my next race, which is like the bare minimum I need to recover and feel like a, a stud. So it's a floating Tuesday to Thursday window, and I don't do it until I can run with no soreness. Okay. Now, that's not the only rule, but if I'm not feeling good Tuesday, I bump it to Wednesday. And each day I bump it, I remove a, a bit of the duration of the workout. Mm -hmm. So if we're using that 20 by 400 5K workout, 
if a normal workout is 20 to 24 by 400 by at 5k effort on Tuesday, it's probably 12 to 14. And on Wednesday, it's probably 10 to 12. And on Thursday, it's six to eight. So that I don't, I do not push the envelope and what I can recover from for the next race. We're just lining up on this one, Bracken. So I take, I I take Thursday off the table. It's not an option, no matter how I, I don't, I like to have the two days after my last quality day before a race. But um, if I feel ready to go on a Tuesday, I have a little more volume in there. And if it's Wednesday, then I cut it back. Um, my, my limiter basically is I go by minutes, no matter, let's say I'm doing mile repeats the week of a race, or I'm doing hill repeats, or I'm doing minute long repeats. I cut it at 12 minutes, roughly 12 to 15 on a Wednesday. If I do it on a Tuesday, I may go 16 to 20 minutes of total quality work, which kind of outlines what you're outlining about, mm-hmm. about roughly the same. But, and Thursday, if I, if I had to think about it, eight minutes of quality work, which sounds just pathetic maybe six. Uh, but, but that's, that's it, you know? Um, yeah. and even like uh, another coach out there, Ian Hosick, I know he prescribes to the philosophy of like a little stimulus earlier in the week. And then the day before a race, like a three minute threshold effort just to get systems going again, but it's mm-hmm. three minutes, three minutes. That's, that's not systemic demand. That's just greasing the groove, getting three minutes the next day. Something like that. He can correct yeah, me if I'm just wrong. Just like a steady state run, as as they like to call it. Or three to seven. It's short. It's under seven minutes, I believe. But yes. Well, if you look at other sports and running, I, I would say if you look at the pro level, Olympic level, national level of endurance sports, one of the tried and true templates, and this is true in, in other sports that I didn't even realize, Lindsay Webster did a post about it, that she learned this from her sister, who is an Olympic cross country, a Nordic skier, I believe one of the Nordic sports. Yeah, or speed skating. Was it either one? No, I think cross country I thought, I thought skiing. it was, yeah, I thought she was. It is cross country how. skiing. You're correct. It's cross country skiing. You're correct. But she said that everyone that they, this is what they do. They do their, and I'm, I'm going to, I'm sure I'm going to butcher it, but it was something along the lines of they did their last quality workout Tuesday, nice and easy Wednesday. And then Thursday, three to four by like minute to 90 second efforts. Short. Basically yeah. three to four by 400 on, 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 uh, sorry. Thursday. So Tuesday quality session, Wednesday recovery, Thursday, three to four by 400 Friday, your pre-race routine, and then Saturday race. And a lot of people do subscribe to that later in the week, rust buster, a mini, mini workout. Yeah. I know in a lot of distance runners who prescribe with the Tuesday quality day. Um, and then the Thursday will be like 400 meters on 400 meters off times four. You're running hard for a total of a mile, but you're also getting a big recovery in between with a quarter mile jog, just enough to to lubricate, so to speak. But I thought it was interesting to see that she learned that from a skier. Sure. And I learned it from all American track runners. Like everyone's following the same science. But the, the key to remember here is that how much work you can do on race week is solely determined by how much work you did in training leading up to race week. And the damage from the race the weekend before. Yeah. So a cross country, an Olympic cross country skier is putting in 15 to 20 hours a week minimum of aerobic work. Is spinning three by 90 seconds on Thursday even going to touch them? No, no, it's not. For someone who's doing 15 minutes 
of, of quality work once a week and maybe hitting a second one and only hitting maybe three to four hours of aerobic work throughout a week on Thursday, should they be running three to four by 400 before a race? No, they should not. It needs to be pared down. You either don't do that session or you do three to four by 100 or three to four by 200. You, you make sure that no matter what's happening, you don't let the science outweigh your body. You have yep. to apply it and scale it down to whatever your fitness can handle right now. Because we're starting to talk about like some finer tuned points of training, race week workouts, whether you're going to do a Wednesday workout and easy all the way through or Tuesday bigger and Thursday micro workout, like that's, that's fine tuning. Those are turning tiny little knobs that are going to unlock those few percentage of, of performance. And if you're at a point where you're still trying to run 20 miles a week, then that's not even worth thinking about yet. Mm-hmm. If you had to pick one day in between races, Wednesday, Saturday to Saturday, Wednesday, easy decision. I need a, I need an extra day of recovery if I raced hard the weekend before and Wednesday's just far enough out from the next race where it just Wednesday's the day. All my athletes know that their quality work happens on Wednesday, the week of races. It just works. I will say though, that I'm equally comfortable bumping to Thursday and having the workout. So I'm already taking two thirds of a normal workout on a Wednesday, I will cut that in half again and do it on a Thursday. And I feel equally comfortable doing it late in the week and less work. How do you know if you're, if you're recovered from your race the previous weekend? Cause sometimes, you know, let's say it's a race where we're not terribly sore and we start to feel good in life. And we're like, I got some energy. I want to go rip. And then you go rip and you realize it's not there and you're not recovered. That happens to me all the time. I'll be like mm-hmm. popping through life, pepping my step. I'm ready to go hammer. And I get a mile in. I'm like, whoa. Like, I feel good in life, but I do not feel good when it comes down to the real work. Like, what are the cues that you you have? Because that's a little cloudy for me, if I'm being honest. Okay. Uh, soreness aside. Soreness is a great indicator, but it's also a false flag. Because soreness doesn't always, is not always reflective of how much work and damage was done. Right. If you have never squatted in your life and you go do one hard set of body weight, like, 15 explosive air squats, you're going to be really sore in your inner thigh the next day, but you didn't take any amount of systemic damage. Mm-hmm. Likewise, if you're really, really well-trained, you can go out and do a two and a half hour long run and be totally fine and not sore, but you probably shouldn't do another big workout the next day. So soreness is not always the best guide, but I do like to use it. Yeah. But I think it's a combination of things at that point. First is going out and moving each day. So I, don't always do the best at abiding by this, but I, I really believe that you need to be still working out, just maybe not running. So getting on the bike and seeing how your legs feel. The bike is one of those things where if you're not a biker, if you're not feeling good, your quads feel like bricks and they burn at the slightest amount of effort. If you're spinning and you can't put any resistance into that flywheel, you know that your legs aren't recovered yet. And then the second thing is heart rate. When you, you, you talked about the, uh, off camera today, how you went for an easy run the other day and we're running X minute per mile at X heart rate. And then the couple of days later, after a big workout, you were doing same loop way slower with higher heart rate. Like knowing those pieces as athletes, wearing your heart rate monitor on your easy run the day before a workout. And then on your warm up if you're going to do a Wednesday workout and realizing I'm 10 beats up and I'm running slower than a normal workout. Nope. I'm bumping till tomorrow and I'm cutting my reps down. Yep. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. We should talk about, just as we're getting a little specific then, why don't we walk um, the listener through day by day our best opinion Saturday to Saturday races, like what, why, how, 
and all that stuff. How do you feel about that? I like it. Okay. Start with Sunday. You just finished racing and I don't, I don't even care what it was. It was something demanding mm-hmm. and your body is not ready to run yet. I like to lift in the morning an easy spin or hike in the afternoon sometime. On Sunday, right after the race. On Sunday. I really like to lift Sunday. Okay. I like taking that day. If not, if it's really, a, if the race is even more demanding, then I bump it back one day and I start my lift and my spin on, on Monday. But Sunday I have to do something because I get really bad doms if I'm not moving. Mm-hmm. Playing with the kids doesn't count or like the, the fringe stuff is what I like to seek out on Sunday, going for a hike in the woods where my that, heart rate that is might very be high. Enough. Yeah, but I do okay. have to target my hips or those areas where I get really tight and sore. If I don't do a little mobility there, I'm in trouble. Okay, so that's your Sunday. My preference might be the entire day off. I don't think about racing. I don't worry about workouts. Um, so I do Sunday for that after a race if I'm real beat up. But I move in life anyways. But I I could see the benefit. I guess the hard part is if you're going to get a lift in on a Sunday, the, the question then goes back to do I touch my lower body or not? Nope, I go upper body. Okay, good. Good upper. And part of the reason I like to do that is because my warm-up for lifting makes my body feel good. Sure. But let, let's just say we skip that, and then Monday is a primarily upper body lift, and at the end of it, I hit some lower body work just to get something working through those muscle groups. And then in the afternoon or tacking on right afterwards, uh, I like to do a bike. And if I'm not totally beat up, then I'll do a light, light, light run. Exactly the same. I'll hit a heavy lift stimulus on Monday, even if my body isn't necessarily ready for it. Kevin Donahue mentioned something uh, this last week about the hormonal uh, Mm -hmm. and testosterone benefits of just getting under heavy weight, which helps stimulate recovery. And I very much subscribe to that and that belief. I can feel it. Yeah. So getting under a heavy load, not going and burning yourself out on a Monday by doing a million reps of everything in a circuit style hit format, but like just heavy rest, do heavy rest again like structured lifting, stimulate the nervous system, which seems like it might be counterproductive, but it's actually very productive. And then couple that with some sort of low end aerobic work. If you feel like you can run great, I bike on that Monday. I give myself two full days of no running after a race. Um, That'd be my approach. I just had to do this last week. I did that time trial on five fingers and my soleus and calves and Achilles area were just really tight and on the third day, it wasn't improving. I went downstairs and I did a lift, a hard lift. And that was the last time I noticed how tight I was. It was just, mm-hmm. I'm sure that there was some some chemical pieces in play, but then also just using them again. They needed to be used, but yep. they weren't able to take pounding yet. But then the next day I was able to run. Yeah. Case in point, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's seen as bro science. You got to lift to recover, but no, there's science science behind it. Yep, yeah, I agree. And I prefer to do it in the morning and start my day that way and get all of that all that positive systemic use and work started early, and that sets the tone for the day and for the week. Yeah, and and then I like to follow that on Tuesdays, um, steady aerobic work. Now we're kind of filtering through damage. This is the first day where I'm like, kind of. I don't know what you call it, what you would call it. Just sorting through, finally ready to move the body in run specific form and just filter, filter out junk, work the cobwebs off and the kinks and the creaks. 
Um, might still feel sluggish on Tuesday, but I usually feel a heck of a lot better afterwards. So for me, it's typically I'm getting on my feet again on a Tuesday, working the cobwebs out, running easy, running slow, but getting on feet again. Um, again, we're, we're only outlined between big race weekends. It would be different if it was just a normal training week, but that's my approach on a Tuesday. What about you? Tosa trails. They're flat. They're soft. They're single track. I have to use a choppy little stride on them and they meander. I'm not just running the same stride for minutes at a time. I'm just doing these tiny little left and right turns and I'm not really doing much up and down. It just allows me to baby myself and run soft and easy. That is my, every time I need to recover, I go to Tosa trails. You're keeping the heart rate in check though, right? And the mental effort in check. I would say I'm lucky if I'm <laughs> mid zone two on that day. Okay. Yep. I am easy. really low. Yeah. Okay, good. We can move on from that. Sometimes if I'm very, very sore, I will bump my strength, my big strength work back to Tuesday as well. Um, if I just know I need the day, you know, when you get like a wet obstacle course race and you're really gripping stuff, sometimes you can get sore in the shoulders and that weird spots. Like, why am I sore here? Um, I might push it back. At Your day. back's a little out of whack. Yeah, it's just like, why? And normally that shouldn't happen. I'll push it back if that's the case. So Tuesday sometimes will be coupled, but ideally it's, it would be the Monday. So I move to Wednesday and then Wednesday would be, well, I guess first Tuesday, if I'm planning on hitting a quality Wednesday, I, I, I spin a few strides on Tuesday after my easy run light, easy strides, but I accelerate up and use the stride I'm going to want to use tomorrow. And that's my first indication is, is that even a chance of it happening tomorrow? Yeah. Oh, sure. If I can't even build up into the stride I need to use tomorrow today, then it's not even worth it. So that's my, that's kind of my, my early warning system there. Well, let's say those warning bells aren't going off. Then we have Wednesday, which we've kind of already talked about, but that'd be our quality day, a warm-up, some sort of stop, dynamics, short quality work that either fills a gap in your training you need that the previous or next race doesn't provide, or if you're super dialed in, you know, and all you're doing is races with vert, then you know that's a specialty of yours, then maybe some uphill intervals or whatever it might be, but short duration a little quicker, harder than race pace generally, um, that'd be Wednesday. And again, capping mine at 15 minutes max, but being closer to 10 minutes of hard work in total is more what I like to air on. So that's about where I'm at. And I look at all workouts as if you have multiple options of how to do them. No matter what pace you choose on earth, anything from, I don't know, 100 meter dash pace all the way up to ultra pace, you can do a shorter long interval of any of those. So, and that's why I talked about that 20 by 400 5k 400 meters is about as short as you'd ever want to run at 5k pace mm -hmm. for most runners. You can go all the way up to thousand mile intervals at 5k. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've seen some people do 2k work at 5k. That takes a real nasty person to be able to do that. But if you could do a mile repeat at 5k, you choose the 600 or 400 on a race week in between races. I choose the the like the, the, the lowest common denominator, the smallest stimulus I can take that still gets me my stimulus. So I, that's yep. why I end up doing a lot of interval work on those in between. Even if I'm doing a threshold, you can do a 40-minute a threshold run or you can do threshold intervals. I'm going to err on the side of threshold intervals because it's it's just less impactful damage on my body. Well, why don't we throw out a couple of our favorite Wednesday sandwiched between races or even race week without being sandwiched between two races, like race week, Wednesday intervals. 
What are some of your favorite when you want to get primed? Are you willing to share? My favorite race week workout is the one, two, three, Farlick. Mm-hmm. And I usually do one, two, three, two, one, two, three, two, one. Mm-hmm. And I just cut it down to one, two, three, two, one, two, or one, two, three, two, one, two, three. I just cut out the three, two, one, two, one, I, you know, or if you're just going to do one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three on race week, I'll do one, two, three, one, two, three, or mm-hmm. maybe even one, two, three, two, one, and just yep. leave it at that. I just shorten it as needed, but I love the fart, like for, for the same reason you, you do, because I don't have to worry about pace. I can go on whatever train I want. I can just take out my little Timex watch and set it to beep every minute. And I just do one beep, two beeps, or three beeps for each rep. And I just run feeling fast and I stop before I'm really ever even hurting. That's my number one favorite. If I had to feel good before a race, I'm running the one, two, three, Farlick. And I'm doing the easy a lot easier than I would normally do the easy. Usually I'm trying to stay aerobic, high-end aerobic on my easy. And on this one, I'm doing a little jog on my easy. And what bracket means is like, one minute easy or hard, one minute easy recovery, two minutes hard, two minutes easy recovery, yeah. three minutes hard, three minutes easy recovery. Um, I cap at three minutes for any sort of hard work if I care about the race again. Um, but I'm the same thing. I got uh, two one intervals. It's just, I, again, all my athletes are going to be nodding their head, but four yeah. by two minutes with one minute rest and then four by one minute with one minute rest. I think that gets you to 12 minutes of work. I also like if I feel like an athlete needs turnover, simple 30, 60, 90 intervals with 60 seconds rest between them all. You get to run fast. You don't accumulate too much damage. You know, we talk about lactate production and things like that. Once you get past three minutes and you're working hard, you can do a little damage, I feel like, which is good. That, that moves the training needle. Heck, even over at two minutes or two to three, you can a little bit. But um, that's why we like to cap it there, just because we're not looking to like you know, flood our systems with lactate a ton, to be honest, the week, the week of a race. So, um, yeah, I kept my three, but I got the two ones. I have the 800, 400 workout, which is 800 meters hard, 60 seconds rest, 400 meters hard, 60 seconds rest times three or four, whatever it is. Um, those they're all, but we're all working in the same time frame. We're all on feet for yep. the exact same time. And that's, that's what I like to go to. And you, you talked about my most programmed is 30, 30 or 60, 60 race week. I just love them. You cut them short. You can't do damage. You feel fast. That's it. I, I think I probably prescribe 60-60 more than anything else race week for athletes. Yeah. Well, I think people look at that and they're like a little disappointed sometimes. Like, that's simple. I don't need – like, that's not fancy or flashy. That's not going to do nope. anything for me. <laughs> exactly. Nope. That's the point. I did. I, I recall I had a stadium race one time that I got there two days early. I think we had to meet – in Boston, either with Spartan Race or with Reebok. It was at the time when there was like some corporate meeting I had to do. So I got there two days early. And I remember because my week was all screwed up, I did a quality Monday. And then Thursday, I did 60-60 times four. <laughs> Just four? <laughs> Just four. 60 on, 60 <laughs> off times four. Because it was too close to the race to want to do real work. But I wanted to spin my wheels a bit. And I remember sitting in the like I'll, I don't know why these things just stick out in your mind, but walking down the steps, going to the hotel gym, warming up, and then running 60-60, and then four reps later walking off, be like, all right, at least I'm done. She's on the treadmill. She's like, I've been here for like 13 minutes. I'm like, yeah, I did an eight-minute warm-up, and I did 60-60 times four, <laughs> or whatever it was, and that was it. That was my workout, and I just went back up to the room because that was all I needed. So, yeah, I've done 60-60 as late as Thursday. Okay. Yeah, and you can do like uh, you can translate those to uphill 
I would never go hard downhill. You could do like uphill hard for two minutes with an easy minute descent recovery or rest. Yeah. You could do any sort of those things. Or, you know, if you got a road race, you could do something like that on the trails to give you a little stimulus difference. But time is just better on those. Um, Thursday. Thursday I use as what I call kind of a float day. Um, if I'm feeling good, it's always easy. But it would be I could take completely off if I still feel like I got fatigue in me. I could go for a 45 to 90 minute bike ride, but keep it easy. Or I could go for a, a light four to eight mile run. It's like any of those things, but everything is aerobic and everything is easy. And that can mean rest to just aerobic work. But that's sort of my, that's my biggest float day that mm-hmm. will vary between races for me is Thursday. To me, if I had to pick one day of the week that was the most and least important, it would be Thursday. Totally. On a, on a race week. Yeah. yeah. It's the most important not to screw up. And it's the least important of what I do that day. 100%. It's totally dependent on what I need. If I need a late week turnover, that's the day I do it. Cause I'm not doing, I, I'm not a guy who likes to do Friday intervals. Ryan Kent has done 10 by 200 on Fridays before races. He loves it. That's not me. Thursday is my last day. Thursday is also, if I'm taking a day off that week, it's Thursday. So it ranges from a day off to a short interval week work, which is why I say it's the least important of dialing in what it is, but it's the most important of nailing correctly. Yeah. That's why I call it my float day. That's my sleep night. That's my good eating night. That's my good hydration night. I don't want to rush my hydration too late. Like Thursday is my day that I target on race week to nail coming out. of. I got to come out of Thursday feeling like a champion. Basically do whatever you need to do to feel like you need to get yourself to homeostasis. And if you don't yeah. know what that is for your body, my, my answer then is just err on the side of caution with either recovery or light non-impact cardio that day. And then we moved to Friday, day before the race. And man, we still got some people who subscribe to taking off the day before the race. And I want to smack them. I think it is important to uh, get the blood flow and get 30 minutes of something in. Your body isn't going to be damaged by that. Um, it's always good. Typically, you're traveling. So just work through it. That fascia loosen up and, and just get the wheels flowing. So I, I, roughly 30 minutes, whatever that means to you. Three miles, four miles, five miles. Um, easy work maybe a few, few strides at the end. If you're banged up, sometimes I biked or cross-trained the day before a race if I really had to, but mm-hmm. um, that's how I look at it. What about you? I have pre-race. A standard pre-race for people when I don't know them well is 20 to 30 minutes plus two to four strides and yeah. mobility work, and that's it. I don't care what modality you use. You could do anything you want, but I I find that a decent amount of people leave their race on Friday. Even though Thursday is the most important, Friday is the most commonly screwed up for some reason. Yeah, it is. And and travel is the big reason for that. And the other part is over and under thinking at the same time. So people will say, oh, I traveled. I, and then they start overthinking. I need, to, I need to be ready for tomorrow. I need to shake out. I got to get a little bit of work in. I need to get my strides in. All right, I've landed at 6 p.m., Oh, I don't want to eat dinner too late. Um, I'll do this right now. I'll get it done at 6.30 p.m. And they go and they go get their 30-minute um, run in and then they get their strides mobility. But they've never done a workout in their life before a Saturday morning workout, but done it at the night before. It's always right. the morning before. So suddenly they're, re- they're shortening their time period between workouts and they've never, ever done that in their life. And so right away, some people are a little off the next day because their body's not used to working yet. Other people will go, you know what? I just don't think I can run the day before a race. I travel. It's been a hard day, but I'll get like a 40 minute bike in instead. 
they've not done any biking on their schedule the entire block of train now they just biked in a like a recumbent bike for 40 minutes at a hotel at that one of those mm-hmm. weird stationary spin things and their hip flexors just went through a a different plane of movement and exercise for 40 minutes and the next day on course they just lack some pop on the climbs and it's like man all that work we did and then friday was kind of just this random haphazard thrown together under thought out workout and so while it's almost unimportant it can't be anything outside your comfort zone. Well, what's your philosophy on, um, you know, you travel and traveling can be kind of a pain. For example, we have West Virginia, if you're a Spartan athlete coming yeah. up and it's like a three and a half hour drive from the airport for everybody. So if you're going on Friday, you're like, do I get up early and get a shakeout run done at 4.30 in the morning before I get on my flight and travel? Or do do I wake up? Is it more important after being in a plane and in a car to get to the vent, to get there and then do your shakeout run, even if it is later and unideal. Like that's an age old debate. I got athletes who get up early to get it in. I got ones who will do it at eight o'clock at night before a race because they feel it's that important after they land and are cramped in an airplane. I subscribe to the fact where I believe I need to move my legs once I land. Maybe a walk could cut it. It maybe it could, but I tend to respond better to, uh, to getting some work done. What about you? Perfect world, I do both. I do a shakeout run in the morning and then I do something in the evening, but, and I don't mind. I've, you know, I've got up at six to get a shakeout run in the morning, but I don't want to cost myself too much sleep because we always end up awake later in the night than we want to before a race. Always, invariably, you just get worse sleep than you want. So I don't want to compromise my sleep too much that night before. So I don't wake up extra early and I'm the same way. I've got to move after my flight, my feet swell on a flight. That's just the way I am. So I've got to move afterwards. And I've just over the years stressed less and less because I've raced. I don't know. I don't even know how many times post-collegiately that I just know that even if I only get eight minutes of treadmill jogging, (laughs) two strides and some mobility that I'm going to be fine the next day. I just have to get something done. Yep. A perfect world, I'd do a 20, 30-minute run in the morning, and then I like a 12, 15-minute shakeout at night and some strides and mobility. Oh, so you do two? I think perfect world, yeah. Because once you're fit and training a lot and doing some doubles, that doesn't matter. Yep. But uh, odds are your flight's going to be a little bit of an inconvenience, and you've got to choose one. And I will always choose post-flight. Okay. So you don't think there's – like. Like, it's like I could leave at noon and get there at 2.30 or 3 and then get by the time I get my rental car and drive in, I get in at 7. But I could get my run in beforehand. Like, if you're trying to schedule around it, I would say get on the flight earlier than later and then move after you land. Yeah. And then the only other thing to do then is if it gets too late, it's not worth it. Then I just get my feet up for five minutes, 10 minutes, do a little bit of stretching and I get to bed and I get up a little extra early and I'll do a 10 minute jog before breakfast. Yeah. And that's, and I've, I've raced well off that as well. Brian Gawiski and I rooming together, we uh, kind of bounced ideas off each other, started doing some early morning shakeouts before the race. And I always feel good with that. So there's always a counter to whatever travel throws at you. You just have to stay on top of it. It's yep. it's as simple as I feel like crap the next morning, but I'm still setting my alarm 12 minutes early and getting up and get a couple minutes jogging before breakfast. Yeah. And don't let that fool you. You might feel like hell on that jog. Oh, you! I've never felt good. <laughs> you will feel like hell. 
Yeah, don't let that throw you off because it is almost always the case after traveling. You don't have your caffeine in you yet, and you know you're old like Bracken, so you got cobwebs to work through. Oh yeah, it's gonna feel junky no matter what. Yeah, yeah, expect it. I have never once felt good on a morning pre-breakfast shakeout jog. Sure. I usually never. am making deals with myself. Like I know it's only been six minutes, but you gotta run out one more before you turn around. You have to make it at least make it back to the parking lot before you walk. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've had some miserable mornings and then race is just butter. They're always a liar. Um, let's recap for them then. So I, we could dive into, I, mean, I think in other episodes we've touched on like building properly and cutting mm-hmm. and tapering into races. Why don't we just leave that out of this? Cause this episode could go forever. If we talk about the people who are racing infrequently, go back and listen to some of our other episodes. But um, I think the big bullet points is, you know, your races are your training. In a sense, they are moving the fitness needle for you, which means that we don't want you to overdo it in the middle of the week. Listen to your body after the race and understand when it's ready for a little bit of spice in between the work, the, the efforts. But the point being is to keep your body moving. We're not completely doing nothing. That's going to be counterproductive as well. You're not going to recover as well by doing nothing, which is kind of a misconception people think. Doing nothing isn't recovering necessarily. Um, so, so those key bullet points are really, I mean, we took us an hour to get there, but that's really what we're outlining uh, in a nutshell. Absolutely. Yeah. Everything's there. The worst thing you can do is nothing or too much. Like that's it. You can't be stationary and you can't try to fit more in. You have to stay moving the whole week, but you only add little bits of spice. Any cook will tell you, you can't unspice something without drastic measures, but you can always sprinkle a little bit more in. Like if you do your workout Wednesday and it just wasn't enough, you could sprinkle a little more Thursday if you had to. But if you overcook Wednesday, you're screwed for Saturday and there's no coming back. Balance the equation, keep moving and overdo nothing. Prioritize skill work. Yep. And there's nothing wrong. I want to give a little mini PSA. There's nothing wrong with the weekend to weekend racer. I I mean, Mm. I don't know how some of you do it, to be honest. It's a lot. The money, the travel, the, you know, just you have no time to do anything else but work in between and eat and sleep. And and it's just becomes kind of a grind. But um, I will say working with enough athletes over the year and myself, it is tough to move the fitness needle as much. Like if you're one of those who want to have your breakthrough and you think going and racing every weekend is your answer. I do think course exposure is important. I do think understanding your body and racing is important. But after you get a season or two out of that, uh, you know, out of the under your belt or out of the way, it's time to slow that down. If you're looking to make big jumps, it's time to give yourself four weeks between workouts where you can recover, build, recover in between every single work or every single race. There's a time and a place. Bracken went through it when he first found the sport. I raced more back in the day than I do now. Um, but eventually, I do believe again, if you're one of those looking to make jumps, you eventually have to leave that. I don't, I hate to tell you, but I, that's my firm belief. What do you believe on that? Oh, I think that I say this all the time, but because none of us are becoming millionaires off of this sport, excitement and passion has to drive us. And if that's Mm -hmm. racing a lot, that's fine. But eventually as you start to prioritize performance more and more, you start to remove a few of the non-essential races, or you start to prioritize them as workouts rather than races. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the best people in the world will never be the people who race the most. Never. But they also may not be the happiest people day to day. They may only be the happiest after they win their world championship. 
And it's finding that sweet spot for you. But regardless, no matter what one you choose, there is a proper way to get there in your training plan. And it's it's as simple as as planning it out using these principles. Yeah. Yeah. And just a, one little self story here before we wrap this up would be, I mentioned in the beginning of this, how I raced four weekends in a row when I was under your coaching and every single race went well, actually. And uh, I felt good during them, did very little stimulus in between. But what I didn't tell you is that I had like three or four months where and before that, where all I did was build and train. And I had one race in that three or four months leading up in the spring, maybe two. And then I did that. So there was already a foundation laid. Whereas if you were doing this without a foundation, I don't know if you could successfully, eventually that, that match is going to burn out unless you've, you've put in time before all of this racing happens back to back to back. You just have trained for a few months without a lot of distraction. So that's a caveat to all that. That's a great point. Yeah. Just want to bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. When someone sends me their race schedule, I get much more worried when I see the the beginning first half of the year front loaded race with races than the back half. hundred percent. I would way rather build. And then when you've, you've built up that durability and that staying power, go spin the wheels for a while rather than we're going to race every weekend in January and February, March. And then I don't have anything important until June. Yeah. You put a lot of bank deposits in the first half of the year and then you can start making withdrawals the second half of the year. It's pretty simple that way, but it's an important piece to it too. Um, did we miss anything today with this one? Oh, I'm sure. But I think we got a lot in there. I mean, obviously we did. We're over an hour on a training Tuesday. So will this need a part two someday? Maybe. <laughs> they all do, don't they? <laughs> they do. They all do. All right, brother. Kirk, whenever I think we're running out of training Tuesday material, we get an hour and 13 minutes in on a how to train in between a race weekends day. And we realize, nope, we're going to be able to do this for a long time. I just like looking at your face, Bracken. It's too bad the listeners can't see it. At some point, we're going to need video. Yeah, one day we'll we'll just jump that. I don't think it'd be too much work on our end. Nah. I know. All right. But... All right. See you guys in West Virginia this week. Till next time. Thank you.